Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the Newcastle United end of season review. I'm Andrew Musgrove. I'm joined by our Newcastle United editor, Aaron Stokes. This is a two-parter, part one, which is this episode. Covers from August to December. We look back on Steve Bruce's final months in charge at Newcastle United. The way the season started, which wasn't very well at all. And of course, the takeover, Eddie Howe coming in and how it didn't quite get off to the best of starts for the Newcastle United manager. Part two, which will be out later this week, covers December, that first win against Burnley, and everything that came afterwards. So sit back and enjoy part one of the Everything is Black and White podcast, Newcastle United end of season review. Thanks for tuning in. I'm just going to dive straight in, Aaron, and ask how do we sum this season up? Because... It's hard to put into words this season when you really do consider everything that has happened. The takeover really blows everything out of the water. And it's also refreshing, as we will do, to look forward to the summer, knowing that actually things are going to happen and Newcastle are going to build for the future. Um, But we'll start with your summer up of this season. I mean, it feels like the longest season ever, doesn't it? That that thinking back to August last year, it just feels like it was two seasons ago. It feels like it was two seasons crammed into twelve months. You know, you had the lows of August, September, October, and then the sort of galvanising of the club with the takeover, the change of manager, and everything that's happened since. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a season that's been like no other, and one that we probably won't experience anything like ever again. No, well, I would I would hope not, and you know the future is going to be something very different to what we've experienced. I mean, many people will point back to the mid nineties for a similar experience, but I, I suppose a lot of our younger younger listeners wouldn't have been around back then. So this will all be a brand new experience for them, and it will be something to um that will hopefully last long in the memory. We're going to go, as I said, back to August, and the first game was against West Ham. Newcastle lost four two. And straight away, it was a sign of things to come, wasn't it? You know, they they took the lead. And what was remarkable was just how unfit they looked in comparison to West Ham. And it's that game that actually Callum Wilson has mentioned on his podcast about when he realised just how unfit Newcastle United were in comparison to their opponents. And it really did set the bar, I felt, for, for what was to come under Steve Bruce. Definitely. And I think... It was quite a poetic game in the sense that, you know, they did took the league, everything, they did take the lead, everything was looking rosy, like you say, Callum Wilson scored after five minutes and it was just a sign of things to come. You know, they conceded three goals from the 53rd minute to the 66th minute. The players, you know, as as Wilson's touched on, they weren't fit and, you know, that's the first game of the season. That's the, that's the standard where it needs to be set from minute one and, you know, much like Bruce's, you know, regime or at least final couple of months, you know, it was a sign that, you know, the players just weren't one fit enough, they weren't clicking. And I mean, I'm just looking at the team sheet here. This team sheet just shows how far Newcastle's came. Freddie Woodman in goal, a back five of Murphy, Kraft, Fernandez, Clark and Ritchie. You know, you'd argue that really only Kraft's going to be getting in a back four now if Trippier's not in. Murphy, you know, hasn't really been seen it right back. You had a midfield three of Hayden, Shelby and Miggy and you had Wilson and Maxi up front. I mean, that is just a... As I said at the start, it just feels a world away. It feels like a lifetime ago, um, but yeah, it, it was a it was a poor start, and and it was sort of a precursor of what was to come in the next three months. We've mentioned there how much people are looking forward to to this season, and I remember last summer the season ending, and it was kind of the same old feeling with Newcastle United under Mike Ashley. You were thinking, well, maybe they'll sign one decent player. But there's always a threat that their star man, Sir Alan St. Maxman or Callum Wilson, could maybe be, be shown the door and sold if the right bid comes in. And, I, and it always seemed to impact the start of the season. It did under previous managers, it did under Steve Bruce. The fans, I think, though, at this point, coming into this season, you know, they'd been so close to a takeover, it hadn't gone through. The window wasn't brilliant. They'd signed Joe Willick. The, the club were then forced to release a statement where basically they kind of just said, it's all on you guys. You wanted Joe Willick. We've done it. You know, there was no other money to spend, which was an utterly bizarre move as well. And it just was, it just felt like the season kicked off where fans were just, they were just lost. They were supporting their team out of 
tradition and out of loyalty rather than enjoying it and the comparison to how people are feeling right now in this moment is absolutely stark um how much do you think that did it impact the start of this season i think it had a big impact i think fans were tired you know we'd had 14 years mike ashley the rain you know it didn't look like he was going to go because we had so many takeover attempts where it was close or fans thought it was close and whether it was actually not selling or the deal just not happening it just felt Newcastle was stuck in a cycle. You know, Bruce, yes, he'd kept them up. Yes, he'd sort of matched Rafa's tally the season before, but there was no sort of, I think there was no way back for Bruce, even if they'd had a good start, which obviously we know they didn't. But I think it did set the tone. Obviously, that first home game, you go into it, Newcastle fans, I think, are quite optimistic by nature. But, you know, when they were coming, when the players were coming off the pitch and they'd lost 4-2 and it was a, you know, a poor performance like that, I think... As as starts go, it was it was poor both on and off the pitch, and I don't think there was a lot of optimism from from the fans after the first game or at least the first month, really. And I remember correctly, Steve Bruce was asked in the pre-season about the transfer window and, and, and the lack of investment, and he kind of said something on the lines of that he wasn't really going to going to kick up a fuss. And I guess in many ways, that was his his downfall because the fans just saw him going along for the ride rather than. Doing what Rafa Benitez did and, and, and voicing his opinions, which you know didn't work. At the end of the day, he, he left the club. That Mike Ashley and Rafa Benitez didn't see eye to eye, and it didn't really work off. All it did was, you know, win him favour with the Newcastle United fans. And then you go into to you know the League Cup, Newcastle dumped out of it by Burnley four through on penalties, and it was a real sign of the austerity under Mike Ashley. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go back to this team sheet again, as I probably will a couple of times, but again, a back five. I mean. That just says, though, back five at home to Burnley, first round of the cup. Doesn't exactly scream, you know, we're going to go for it. Starting lineup: Dwight Gale, Jeff Hendrick, Kieran Clark, Jamal Lewis, Woodman again. And I mean, I remember, I wasn't actually at that game, the League Cup game, but I remember the feeling afterwards of, it was just sort of that air of inevitability about it. Didn't matter who Newcastle were going to face in the cup, you know, we all knew that Mike Ashley wasn't bothered about cup runs. It was a real... Shame, because if I remember correctly, they'd put on a special price for people to go along and, and see the Cup. So for many people, you know, for many kids, it would have been maybe their first Newcastle United game. And I remember persuading my fiance to go along to a game. She hasn't been to many Newcastle United games. And I'm like, come on, come along. You know, we'll, we're, it's on the, on the cheap, we'll go along. She turned to me about 85 minutes and just said, never again. Why, why have you brought <laughs> me here? And then it goes to extra time and then to penalties and then you're dumped out. And you're right, you, you looked around and you just felt you felt, as I've said, you felt lost and you were just wondering, what is the point? What is the point of coming to St. James' Park anymore when you have a team that isn't good enough, but that's not necessarily their fault. They're the players that are here and you know, they have to, you know, they're picked. But you have a manager who's not really doing anything to rock the boat and you have an owner who just doesn't care. I think there's a, there's a couple of times in at least my lifetime supporting Newcastle where you felt so disinterested in it and you know it's obviously tough to say as we're both Newcastle fans and you know we'd always want to support the club but I remember there was times towards the back end of Pardew or during Pardew's reign there was a big time during McLaren you know when when it, the club were refusing to sack him and their performances were so bad and then there was the start of this season under Bruce where you know the lowest really of Ashley's tenure I feel but do, do you know what the difference is I think the Pardew situation I remember it was Everton, wasn't it? His last game in Newcastle had won 3 2, if I'm not mistaken, or they won the game anyway. But you always felt, when things started heating up between the fans and, and Pardew, that there was a chance of change. And I know he was Mike Ashley's man, but you always felt there was that little bit of chance of, of Ashley going, okay, maybe he's not the right man, maybe it is that bad, and you know we will get rid of him. McLaren, okay, that was a very, very strange season, but then they end up getting Rafa Benitez in. But again, you always. You always felt and hoped that they'd make the right choice eventually. But I think at this point in time, especially as um, the season got worse under Steve Bruce, you know, that, that, that run of games didn't didn't win. I'd, with what happened the season before, the Brighton defeats, I mean, goodness me, you know, they, he should have gone after that 3-0 defeat down at the Amex. I mean, in my view, he should have gone when Newcastle uh, failed to beat Fulham back in that November when Fulham went down to 10 men. That was disgraceful I know we're going back a bit but the point is the change didn't come and I, I think when we get to you know September we get to that Wolves game which we'll talk about 
you know, of the season just gone by, the reason everyone was so down in the dumps was because there was no hope of any change. However little, there was absolutely zero hope of that because Mike Ashley hadn't got rid of Steve Bruce when really every other chairman, every other owner would have kicked their manager out after that 3-0 defeat at Brighton. And I just think fans just felt, well, you know, there is no hope of change. He doesn't care. Again, what is what is the point? 100%. And I think that showed, obviously, as you've touched on, there was some really low points the season before, but what other Premier League club would have allowed Steve Bruce or any manager the amount of time that he was given this season? You know, if that takeover hadn't happened, you could have easily seen Bruce, you know, surviving until Christmas, until it was like the McLaren season. He only acted when he had to. I mean, McLaren was sacked far too late. And I think had the takeover not happened, we would have seen a repeat of that where Bruce was never going to walk. Ashley just wanted to dig his heels in sort of two fingers up the fans at the same time. No, he's my man. He doesn't rock the boat like Rafa. That takeover obviously came at a good time, but I know what you mean. The start of the season, it just felt like it, you did feel lost. You felt like there was no way out, no end in sight. Obviously, October changed that, but the first two months of the season, I remember feeling, you know, it, this was this is bad and this, this seems like another season where, you know, relegation is definitely on the cards. And I think a lot of fans felt that. Oh, definitely. I think if the takeover hadn't happened and the change of manager hadn't happened, we would be talking, I think, about Newcastle being a championship side next season. As it is, the takeover has happened and we can all dance with joy down Northumberland Street. Um, September, I mean, it, it got worse, didn't it? You know, there were, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word humbled at Old Trafford. I'm being polite there. They were, you know, absolutely thumped with the 4-1. Bruce had been criticised for for going away during the international break. I don't actually think that's been confirmed. There was pictures, but then the reaction he had when he was asked about it by our chief sports writer, Lee Ryder, seemed to suggest it was, uh, you know, the claims of him going on holiday were one hundred percent true. And he, you know, he, he kicked off. It's you know, it's no secret about the, about the the reaction he had to to leave when he asked that question, talking about you know the chronicles, the reason for the ne- negativity. Of the fans, and ironically enough, Steve Bruce is in four four two this week, talking about his time at, at Newcastle. And Aaron, you you wrote some of the quotes up, and it, it's funny because when we look back at that Man United press conference, and not just that, there's plenty of examples. He seemed to be out of touch with with reality, really, at Newcastle and how the fans were feeling. Not just at the form table, you know. Let's like say few managers would have survived the, the run of form he'd taken Newcastle on it several times during his tenure and even in the interview that's come out this week he seems a little bit out of touch with the reality of what actually happened at Newcastle I think there was there was a slight bit of contrition from Bruce this week in that 442 interview he said look yes maybe at times we struggled I think that's a big big understatement from Bruce you know it wasn't just times where I struggled pretty much the entirety of his reign yes look he kept the club up yes you know you can say on paper he matched Rafa's um, points total and, and stuff like that but Performance-wise, it was it was McLaren bad, wasn't it? It was it was really really poor, and I think you know that that September presser where, as you say, you, you know he had a go at Lee. You always know. Well, this is the thing. Usually, that would be the sign of you know it's the beginning of the end. You know he's he's fighting with the media, blah blah. blah. As we just said a minute ago, obviously Ashley still back then had no intentions of him. I remember that my United game, and I think Newcastle were awful, but I think the the shine was took off. Well, the spotlight was took off Newcastle because it was Ronaldo's debut. You know, Sancho had just signed. They were playing at home. Varane was, you know, starting his first home game. But when we looked at, obviously, from the Newcastle point of view, it was, if that's how they're going to play against the big six this season, having not won a game in August either, then, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty ominous back then, I remember. And then it was Watford, and they drew 1-1 with Watford, and... This kind of papered over the cracks slightly. Newcastle should have won, and their performance gave Steve Bruce and you know those in the media who who backed him an excuse to say, "Well, look, we were just unlucky against Watford." You know, you had Joe Linton, you had Longstaff, you had Almiron missing big chances. Longstaff got the goal that day, and it did paper over the cracks to what had been a terrible start to the season. And in the end, it was a it was a late goal, wasn't it, from Watford that. That got the well made it into a draw, but I remember that game, and I just sat there thinking, if we can't beat Watford, then who are Newcastle United going to beat? And at that time, Watford, I think, had picked up seven points from their first 
um, however many games it was, and Newcastle obviously hadn't hadn't won, and were deep deep in deep trouble. But I did just sit there thinking, okay, you're getting thumped off Manchester United. You go, okay, fair enough. Big team, everyone expected that. But then you're drawing against a Watford side, and yes, you should have won, but that's not an excuse for not winning. You know, yes, the keeper may have pulled off one, two, three fantastic saves, but when you're in need of your first win, that can only go so far to mask the terrible situation you're in. Yeah, definitely. I was at Vic Road that day, and I remember leaving the stadium thinking that it, I'd just watched a game of two teams that were destined to go down. Newcastle, as you touched on, were the better team, should have won it, obviously took the lead early. You know, it just... It was that thing on the Brewster season where there was just a lack of clinical... You know, there wasn't that clinical edge. They could dominate games in certain situations, but they never looked like, you know, competing. They would score a goal. They wouldn't go and push on and get a second. They would sit back and just sort of allow the pressure, which is what they did at Vicarage Road that day. And I remember, I think, Watford actually took the lead before, obviously, it was ruled out uh, for offside. Josh King scored. I remember took his top off celebrating then had to sort of sheepishly put it back on. Uh, when the flag went up, but yeah, and then obviously you had Murphy's chance at the end, and obviously we all know what happened there, but I remember leaving that game thinking, if we can't beat Watford away, when they've just played that poorly, you know, who on earth can we beat in this league? And I think the feeling that day was definitely, well, you know, we're, we're banging trouble here. Yeah, and you could you could sense it around the fan base on social media, and then we get into October and we're flying through because the second half of the season's got so much um, to talk about and it's more positive and that's where we really want to focus, isn't it? Because it's positive going forward as well. And But it all starts with that defeat to Wolves. And I remember being, um, I was on a stag do actually, we were, we were in York and we were coming back uh, from York and, and it was a bunch of Newcastle fans and we, we, hadn't, we hadn't even checked their phone for the day. You know, and I think that's just a little sign because there's always one person will just get the phone and go, oh, by the way, it's, it's you know, it's 2-0, it's, it's, it's whatever. But I think people had really just lost interest at that point. And, you know, there's there's, there's plenty of farm podcasts out there and, and guys who go home and away on the terraces and in the various grounds up and down the country. And I remember, um, I think it would maybe, maybe been on True Faith where people were talking about, you know, actually just being in that away end against Wolves and just thinking... We're in serious bother here. Really, really, really are. And it wasn't. It wasn't just the result. It was kind of the manner. I mean, I know Murphy should have scored shouldn't he later on, and he, he missed the chance. But it was just the way they'd played over the ninety minutes, and you're just sitting there thinking, I can't see a way out of this. And and this is in October. Like I say, as I said at the start, it feels like that was a season or two ago. You know, it f- does not feel like that was, you know, just a matter of months ago. But You've obviously touched on two faith there. Funnily enough, a day or two ago, um, a clip came up on my Twitter of Newcastle Fan TV and uh, Johnny and Sam, who run the podcast, were stood outside Molyneux, basically arguing with each other. Basically, both of them just saying, you know, what have we just witnessed? It's a club going nowhere, we're going backwards. And nobody could take a positive from that Wolves game. And, you know, little did anybody know what was around the corner. But as a way to go... That is, you know, the perfect, perfect analysis of Mike Ashley's reign is that game summed up there. And I think it's just quite poetic that that was the last game of his of his tenure in charge. I remember being particularly angry at Steve Bruce's post-match press conferences after that game. And I think that was a, a running trend as well for many fans, not just throughout the start of the, the season, but the season before where Bruce, again, as we've mentioned, just didn't seem to be really be in touch with what was going on. And, and in particular with this one, you know, he, he said it's a, a reflection of the story so far. We had a chance in the second half and didn't take it. Unfortunately, this level, you don't get many opportunities like that. I don't remember my goalkeeper making a save yet. He's picking the ball out of the back of the net twice. Well, they're the saves that Dubravka should, you know, should have made. And you also, um, I mean, they, they did have three shots on target in total. So there was one save that he did manage to pull off. But I just remember thinking with most press conferences from Steve Bruce, he didn't seem to realise the situation that Newcastle were in. No, I didn't. And I think it was, um, you know, it was typical of Bruce who, towards the end, as we touched on at the start, you know, he, he didn't sort of know what to say at the media. And I think that was what riled fans up the most was, 
we had Benitez who look yes he stood up to Ashley he didn't necessarily play fantastic football he got results but you knew if they'd been beaten or if they'd drawn a game you could listen to him in the post-match press conference and you could understand exactly what he tried to do with Bruce it was oh well you know we'll try it and we'll go again next week or oh, we'll, we'll dust ourselves down or we'll pick ourselves up and I think you know those comments like that just went further to sort of further sort of damage his reputation at the club, especially you know, towards the back end in those final couple of months. You mentioned there the takeover, and that's what everyone's probably waiting for. And <laughs> I mean, those celebrations on the day it went through were unbelievable. And it was such a, a whirlwind kind of 24 hours. And I remember that Wolves game, we mentioned there, the apathy that was through the families. No one saw this coming. I mean, no one anticipated the takeover was would be, you know, done and dusted just a few days later. And even when the news came through of a potential deal between Saudi Arabia and Qatar over the piracy issues, um, I remember writing something along the lines of "It's good news, but don't expect anything to happen too soon." And then a couple of days later, we were under new ownership, and I think it caught many people, you know, um, blindsided a lot of people, even to a certain degree the owners of Newcastle United. And we saw that maybe with the, the plans when it came to Steve Bruce and the new manager. And, you know, I think maybe they were caught a little bit unaware about, about how quickly it turned around. Because one thing, getting the keys, but if you, your roof's got a few holes in, then, you know, the rain's going to get in. It's not maybe as quick um, as you like to get a tiler in, so to speak. I mean, the metaphors are all over the shop there. But you, you get my point. And just talk us through your memories of those of the, of the days just before the takeover let's start like we say just be, just after that Wolves game leading up to the morning of October the 7th I mean after the Wolves game like you say it was apathy it was you know how can this get any worse where do we go from here and I'm sure that the, the Newcastle were embroiled in some sort of you know legal battle with the Premier League at the time over you know the previous takeover attempts I think, like you and like many fans, you know, when we when we heard the piracy thing was getting solved, we didn't really think that it was gonna, you know, lead to a you know takeover a few days later. I certainly didn't. And then, you know, you're always wary that you know we've been stung so many times before. We've been that close so many times. Takeover attempt after takeover attempt, and we all thought that this was going to be the one. So, you know, obviously there was that excitement, but you know we've been burned before we can't you know let our guard down and and get too excited about it and then obviously you know it, it all happened in the space of 24 hours and it, i think typical newcastle in the fashion oh, how we mentioned we keep mentioning that wolves game but the feeling could not get any lower Couldn't than it worse. was that weekend and in typical newcastle United fashion you get then get this massive boost of the takeover it comes from nowhere it happens in 24 hours from, and actually, funny enough, there's a few other incidences this season which we'll get on to, which I also feel are typical Newcastle United, but this is definitely one of them, just out of nowhere. The biggest thing in the world as well, when you think about it, like it's not just any takeover. This is a takeover which many people believe make Newcastle United the richest club in the world. And I often say to people who ask, you know, how do you feel about the owners? You know, And I often say, well, look, A, Newcastle United fans can't choose who owns their club, but B... If it had been a man or woman worth a billion pounds, but they'd come in with a plan to take the club forward with a real desire to make sure Newcastle do more than just survive every season, they would have taken that. They would have said, yes, it's it's just luck and Newcastle United's luck. They happen to be, by some people's uh, definition, the richest club in the world now. I think I think Newcastle fans at that point, like you say, leaving Molyneux, they would have taken anybody. They would have wouldn't even have to have been a billionaire. As long as they could buy the club and they weren't like Ashley, I think they were welcome to Newcastle. As you say, it was just luck that, you know, we we've happened to stumble on across owners who could potentially make Newcastle United a superpower. Um, you know, it won't happen overnight, but the plan's there and I think Stavely in our first interview I mean, she said all the right things. She couldn't really have said anything. You know, she could have said anything and, and, and you know, her words would have been eaten up and lapped up by fans. But, you know, that first interview, I remember when she was in Jasmine Dean House and she was saying, you know, we want to win titles. I mean, this is a Newcastle United that's just had 14 years of Mike Ashley and, you know, finishing 17th was a was a league title for him. Yeah. So 11th place would have taken. Exactly. <laughs> it yeah. would work for most Newcastle fans. So, 
yeah, I mean, from the minute one, you had obviously the fans at St. James's Park. Meanwhile, Staveley's, you know, giving interviews to the media saying that, you know, Newcastle United are going to start winning things. I mean, even looking back on it now, I mean, we're never going to get a day like that again. It was just the pandemonium and everything. It was just what fans deserved. And, you know, I always feel like I have to defend Newcastle United fans because when I speak to people who aren't from the area, they aren't don't support the club, they think, well... You know, was actually that bad. You know, you finished fifth under Pardew. You know, you signed X, Y, Z. You got Benitez in. Unless you're from Newcastle, you know, you don't really know the struggle that went on over that decade. You don't know how bad it got. Um, and I think it was just a, a day for people to savour and, and one that we'll never forget on that, that night in October. I've mentioned it plenty of times on this podcast and there's an episode I put together of all the audio from the day, but it is for me, as a reporter and as a fan, you know, it just... The best, the best day I've had in, 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 in as, a, as a journalist to be up there amongst all the fans, and you know, my dad ended up coming up as well, and we got to celebrate that moment together, which was really, really special. And you looked around, and you know, there were, you know, grown men crying. You know, it was it was a remarkable day. And I just remember, like, the night before, you know, you hear and think, it's, no, it, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it'll be tomorrow, there's going to be an announcement. And you're still, especially as a journalist who, like you say, this, we've had so many fall, false dawns. You're just expecting something to go wrong. I kind of liken it to um, the scene in Only Fools and Horses when they sell the gold watch. And uh, Del Boy says, no, 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 I'm, that, I'm waiting until that check comes through. And, and Rodney <laughs> goes, well, it's celebrities. It's not, you know, someone down the market. And it was, and what I was like, I'm, let's just wait until the new, until, you know, they're there with a scarf. That was that was the thing, wasn't it? You, you could not believe that Newcastle had been taken over, and that was the words until they were on the pitch, holding the shirt, holding the scarf. That was it. So, it, but you know, and then during the day as well, it was, it was a mix of excitement and, and nervousness. You know, in the morning there were more reporters and photographers there than than fans. Gradually started filling up, and as time went on, people were becoming concerned because it was meant to be. 10 it was meant to be 11 midday it went on and on and as every hour passed people were just getting a little bit nervous and even i think towards the end of the day before it was five o'clock wasn't it and i think even then we were be like okay okay we this is gonna have to come now just for our nerves alone <laughs> and then it happened and you know i've spoken about before there was a there was a, a false shout on the far pitch on the, the far side of um strawberry corner and it, it trickled through and everyone jumped up and celebrated and you had the journalists just saying, well, we haven't got official confirmation yet. And you had people kicking off and flying, you know, kicking off in a good way. And then <laughs> yeah, I think it was about 10, 15 minutes later when it was confirmed. And those scenes will stay with not just me, but I imagine everyone who was there on the day listening to this podcast, it'll stay with you guys for a long, long time to come. And so it should, you know, we had more flags coming back out. We had, I'd say, people hugging, crying, strangers hugging and crying one another chanting it was just the biggest party i've ever seen in newcastle and it and, and it makes me excited to think what will happen and i'm going to say when i'm not going to say if <laughs> when newcastle united win in honor well i mean we 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 go back two weeks and we think when we beat arsenal in the final home game of the season you would have thought you know that was a you know a cup final parade where they were doing the lap of honor and you're thinking if that's the atmosphere on a Monday night when we're finishing 10th, or you know, we're, we're you know, on the cusp of finishing 10th, I mean, what on earth is it going to be like when they win something? I mean, it just, it just, you can't bear to think about it really. I think there'll be about, you know, a week long party in Newcastle. <laughs> Not many people go to work and a lot of hangovers, but yeah, I mean, look, what an exciting time for the club. And as you say, you know, that, that night in October was a real, you know, you remember where you were for you, you know, you'll always remember that night. A lot of those fathers that you saw there with their sons or their daughters will remember that night as as a real special one in the history. And I don't think a lot of us really knew or, or expected what was to come straight after it, really. Yeah, and their to-do list straight away, yeah, even though they had the international break, um, was, was, was long. And, you know, there was plenty of stuff to get on with. But just before we get on to that, I'll just bring you some news that Newcastle United's Academy has confirmed its retain list for next season. Um, the under-23s have made offers to Matthew Bondswell, so he's a full-back. Niall Brookwell, Will Brown, Lewis Cass has been on loan this season, hasn't he? Joe Oliver and Dylan Stevenson, who's had uh, who started the season really well. Leaving the club, Tom Allen is on his way. Ryan Barrett, Brad Cross, 
Uh, Ison McEntee, Moore, Sangare, Regan Thomas, who remember was signed, not mistaken, from Queen of the South, and there was a lot of hope for him. Jake Turner and Adam Wilson as well. Always a big fan of Adam Wilson from what I, what I saw. Um, such a shame that he suffered from injury that Adam Wilson, and he's not quite found that form, which I think everyone um, felt give him um, you know, the potential to become a, a real star, uh, but they are on their way. Um, Steve Harper says, I'd like to thank each and every player for their efforts during their time at the academy. Many of the players leaving us have been here for several years, so this will be an emotional time as they take a new step on their career path. Um, I'd like to wish players leaving us the very best of luck with their careers. That's from the Newcastle United website. We'll have more on that on our website at chroniclelive.co.uk. Any thoughts on, on those released there, Aaron? Yeah, it's a shame to see some of them go. Like you say, a couple of them have been, you know, sort of hampered by injury. Um, you know, I saw a post from that Mo Sangar a couple of days ago and he was, you know, quite an emotional post saying that, you know, he's really grown as a player and as a person at Newcastle. And it's sad to see, I know there's a couple there that, you know, they've got high hopes for for the future, especially Bond's well. So it's good to see that, you know, he's been given a new deal. But, you know, in the next couple of years, you know, we're going to see this academy growing in size and prospects really well, we were going to talk there about the um, the immediate things that the, the new owners had to deal with I don't know when we stopped seeing new owners actually I've been thinking about this yeah. recently when do we stop calling them new owners I don't know <laughs> I hadn't even realised I was doing it to be fair but I've still had that many years of actually I've tried to stop when doing stories calling them new owners I'm thinking well it's been more than six months surely they can't be new owners but um, yeah why don't you guys write in and tell us when you'd like, like us to stop calling them new owners Um but actually, one of the long-term, you know, aspirations is to turn this academy into something really special. And you know, you c- turning Newcastle into a force in the Premier League is a new experience for some. But for the older listeners, you know, they experienced it under Kevin Keegan. They briefly experienced it under Bob Robson. So for everyone, it's not a new experience. It's just something you can hold up and say, "Well, that's where we should be aiming for." But with the academy, it's it's never really been top of the tree, has it? So. That's not something we can, you know, we can't look back on on certain seasons and go, well, you know, wow, that's the standard. This is going to be a whole experience for for everybody, but it won't be easy. No, not at all. But I think it, it was one of the most, you know, damning indictments of Ashley's reign that, you know, in that fourteen years, you can probably name on one or two hands the amount of players that really came through the academy and and made a name for themselves. You know, you know, you've got Dummett and Longstaff still there now, but before that, you know, you're talking the likes of, you know, Adam Campbell and Adam Armstrong and stuff like that. So. You know, this is obviously the owners have, have came in. They've got new plans for the academy, the training ground, which to us is like, you know, something new. But, you know, for a Premier League club, it's, it's the bend, to run of the mill, it? isn't it? It's normal. So, you know, Bruno Guimaraes and all that and those £40 million signings will come. They'll make us a better team. But, you know, making sure that the club are, you know, pro- promoting from within and... um and you know, doing that work behind the scenes with stuff like the training ground is is equally as important. I feel. Let's go back to October. Then we've had the takeover. We've had the celebrations, and immediately everyone felt Steve Bruce would be shown the door. He would be he would be sacked. He would be gone. They'd get a new manager in, and it took a long while for the for the, for the owners. There we go, owners to um, <laughs> confirm exactly what they were going to do. And it got to the stage where a lot of people were scratching their heads, just waiting for confirmation: Is he going? Is he staying? In the end, they came out and said, you know, he's going to remain in charge for that game against Spurs. And I haven't got the exact dates written down, but I do remember it took a little longer to get that confirmation than many people expected to do so. And then, also, it wasn't the decision that I think the majority of Newcastle fans were expecting. I think, obviously, there was that takeover happened on the 7th and we had 10 days before that Tottenham game. And I remember that Tottenham game and, obviously, Bruce was was kept on and it was his thousandth game and there was that sort of, you know, is he getting kept on because it's his thousandth game and it's a big milestone. But I also think for the owners, not the new owners, the owners, I think it's, um, I think it was important, you know, not to come in and be scattergun. It would have been so easy to remove Bruce as, as their first point of business. But, you know, is it the best PR move? You know, they've came in, there's a lot of controversy around the owners and, you know, the Saudi side of it. Do they want to come in and you know instantly create that headline of well, they haven't even given them a chance? I guess I guess that there's an important element there, isn't there? Because from a fan perspective, you would have boosted your popularity even higher, and it, it couldn't yeah. really get much higher. You've just mm-hmm. taken over the club after 14 years of 
with Mike Ashley and but you get rid of Steve Bruce it does take you up to another level it's what the fans wanted but the very fact that they didn't I think showed a, a, a real um, it was a real intelligent move because it shows well actually we're not just going to make decisions on what we think is going to make us popular we're going to make decisions on what we think is best for this football club and it wasn't necessarily Steve Bruce staying in charge because it was the best thing for the football club but more you know like you say we've just come in you know, we haven't really got a plan of if we if we get rid of Steve Bruce, who replaces him. You know, the turnaround okay, it was it was ten days or so, but that's not massively. That's not a massive time when you when you, if you need to get a new manager, you've got to get people interviewed. You've got to you know let them settle in. So, and it was an important game as well. Newcastle were looking for for victory for the first time this season. They didn't get it obviously, but again, you know that probably played a little bit part into it. But I th- I think it was a really clever move, and it just showed. Where previously, because if you look back on Mike Ashley and Kevin Keegan, for example, he appointed Kevin Keegan because, in my view, he felt it was the popular move and not necessarily the the footballing decision. But here we had maybe the owners making something based on footballing reasons and not what would make them even more popular. Yeah, I think, you know, like you say, they could have pushed the button on Bruce straight away and you would have probably had critics from outside, you know, sort of maybe saying that's... Maybe it wasn't the best move, like you say, fans would have been well, moving. You had it, you had it anyway when yeah, it happened. Yeah. But I think even though even when it was announced that Bruce was obviously staying in charge for the Tottenham game, I feel like there wasn't you know, there was an air of inevitability that he was going to be going. It wasn't a long term thing and they were just maybe giving him that thousand game, one game in charge. I do think though, and I, and I, and I've have said this before, but I feel like it maybe took a little bit of Gloss. Gloss off the day. I remember going into St. James' Park that day and you had the owners being unveiled and the atmosphere was like, you know, nothing like we'd, we'd experienced in years. And this from a club who hadn't won, you know, you know, this, you know, they were pretty much bottom of the table. The manner of the performance, obviously, I know they only got beat 3-2, but there was sort of that, did it take the shine off the day a little bit? That was the only thing I would, I would maybe say about why the decision wasn't maybe the best from the owners, but... I think we all knew after that Tottenham game that it was a matter of when, not if he was on his way. Yeah, and you know, if they were waiting to see whether Steve Bruce could maybe win round the fans, I, I feel when you got to about 65, 70 minutes, I just remember the, the atmosphere was starting to turn slightly. From where it had been all day, like you say, walking up to the ground was unbelievable. Such a party atmosphere. The war flags are back. Unbelievable to see, you know, that message from the the Jimmy Neal Big River song. You know, again, grown men crying <laughs> in the stand. Now, I, I was one of them. And, yeah. you know, if you're listening to this and you're saying, oh, you didn't share it to you, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Because many, many people did. I think even Al Romani, the chairman, had a little tear in his eye when he was welcomed and everyone saw him on the big screen. It was a remarkable moment. And to have war flags back, brilliant. You know, Callum Wilson then gets an early goal. Fantastic. But then when it reverted to tie and we went back to Newcastle, you know, uh, being careless in possession, being out of position in defence, letting the men run, you know, this was Steve Bruce's Newcastle United. The, the, the atmosphere did start to turn a little bit. And I think if you're sitting up in the director's box and you're maybe saying, well, look, we'll, we'll give him a chance, you know, he wins this game, you know, this could be the start of something special. 60 minutes in, I think I think the decision was, was, was practically made then and then if it hadn't already been made. I, th- I agree. I think you, you went into that game and you got in your seat and obviously there was people crying and it was just you know an atmosphere we hadn't seen in ages. They take that early goal and by half-time they're 3-1 down. The chance in the second half, there was a few from the Gallagher of we want Bruce out and the owners must be sitting there thinking, you know, we've came in, we've got the fans on our side, you know, we don't want this negativity. This is, you know, we need to keep it as positive as it was and I, th- I agree with you that by the hour mark, the manner of the performance, I think it was it was already ready and, and, and ready to be ready to be done. So then Steve Bruce goes by mutual consent and, and Graham Jones, who had built up quite a good reputation with Newcastle United fans. Of course, he, he joined the England coaching staff as well um, in the the what was it the Euros, wasn't it in the, in the summer? And you know he was held in really high regard. Some had wanted him to take temporary charge even before the takeover. He did take charge for three games. Um, it didn't quite go to plan, but it was always going to be a stopgap until they got whoever it was in. But 
Did you see any improvement in those games? What was it? it was Palace, Brighton was the last one, and, and Chelsea, Chelsea was home in the middle, yeah. So, I mean, that point against, it was a point against Palace, Calum Wilson got the yeah. overhead kick, didn't he, or bicycle kick. Um, a pretty important point. In the I, I, remember, I remember thinking after Palace, you, you know, that was that was like watching a completely different team. And I know, obviously, they went behind and equalised, but you did sort of get the feeling of, you know, why haven't we done this sooner? Why haven't we given George a chance? I then remember going to St. James's and then watching us get absolutely tanked off Chelsea and thinking, mm, maybe that's why we haven't done it sooner. But yeah, like you say, obviously, Newcastle have finished well clear of the drop in the end. But looking back to, you know, October, November, when they got the draw at Palace, they got the draw at Brighton, you know, valuable points there, even though they weren't winning. But as you say, it was always a short-term measure while they obviously had that that tricky time of finding a new manager. What do you make of Graham Jones's role at the moment? He, I always felt under Bruce, he was it was quite prominent, you know, and it was maybe because fans didn't really like Steve Bruce and they just needed someone to cling on to, and that was that was Graham Jones. He's very much in the background now, but he's in them pictures. He looks like he's, he's absolutely loving life. Do, do you... Th- foresee him having a long-term future at Newcastle night, or do you think it was maybe just um, a kind of a, a maybe just a short-term gesture to say we'll stay here for the season and we'll see what happens in the summer it, it's going to be interesting you know and I think it's something that a lot of fans won't have picked up on but obviously when the likes of ourselves are sat in the in the press area just above the dugout you know I spend quite a lot of the game when the moments are just when you know the balls are out I'm watching how and Tyndall and you know, Jason Tindall is very much as important as Howe on that touchline. You know, he's the one barking orders. Graham Jones, every every game, comes and sits behind us. You know, he's not even on the bench. You know, he, he makes his way down the pitch two or three minutes before the end of each half to, you know, maybe pass on what he's seen or, or go and speak to the players. But a completely different role to what he had under Bruce. And I don't think it's been, you know, missed by a lot of fans that he isn't as prominent as he was. So, interesting to see what he does in the summer, but... I don't think you'll have any, you know, amount of impact as he had under Bruce because, like you say, Tyndall is obviously, you know, his go-to man. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether he does stay beyond the summer. So if my dates are correct, he was appointed caretaker manager, whatever you want to call it, on October twentieth, I think, and it was November the eighth that Eddie Howe was appointed. But of course, before Eddie Howe was appointed, many people felt it was going to be Unai Emery, and I, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but. He, he got labelled that he, he's the man kind of three or four down the line perhaps he's the big name I don't necessarily agree with that I don't you know but that was what some people um, had, had pigeonholed him as I, I felt it was a, a learning curve for the owners because obviously it had come out from, from somewhere that he was the number one choice of certain people um, you know it has come out since that actually Eddie Howe was the number one choice you know and um, of, of the majority of those making the decisions but it was certainly interesting to see, you know, the reports, firm reports as well from from nearly every outlet that Emery was going to be the man to take over Newcastle United. Yeah, a, a, a massive learning curve for the owners because they came in and they were sort of on, you know, riding this wave of optimism where they could do no wrong and quite quickly into their, you know, time in charge, there was this big setback of, you know what, you somehow this has leaked. Emery himself has came out since and admitted that there was talks, whereas you know they hadn't approached Villarreal, which is, you know, obviously you know quite a quite a big mistake from their part. Emery, look, I mean, I I agree with you. He's done fantastic jobs at Villarreal. He's been amazing at Sevilla. Every time he's in Spain, he, he works wonders. I remember covering a, a couple of Arsenal games when I when I worked in London, and he was he was the manager in. You felt that he was never getting his point across in English. You know, he struggled at PSG when there was that language barrier. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm just not sure he does his best work outside of Spain. Saying that, at the time, I, I was happy. Maybe because, you know, we've just had two or three years of Steve Bruce and, you know, for a large part of that. That's the context, isn't it? I this think, is the thing. You've yeah, got to remember yeah. back then that that's all we've been used to. So to even be linked with someone who's, you know, won Europa Leagues and, you know, done this with PSG and that with PSG... It was it was a different world, wasn't it, back then? And on that said, Eddie Howe comes in, and I think you'd be very hard-pressed to find anyone that was disappointed with that appointment. We had run a poll earlier in the year, and it was something like 84% wanted Eddie Howe to replace Steve Bruce. And, you know, the, <laughs> the famous Steve Bruce quote is something along the lines of Eddie Howe. And, that and fella from Bournemouth. That fella from Bournemouth, wasn't he it? He got um, relegated, yeah. You know. But yeah, I think everyone was, was very happy, and everyone now... 
you know, those who maybe weren't too pleased will have um, quietened down somewhat. Of course, football is a, a game of opinions and everyone has has theirs. Interesting appointments. I mean, look, it didn't go, it didn't end so well at Bournemouth, but overall, what he did at Bournemouth, you know, th- there's no wonder he continues to get plaudits. The important thing for me was when he was talking about what he'd done in his spare time and how he'd gone, gone away and, you know, he joined up with certain training sessions of certain, you know, top class managers across Europe and, you know, had just gone about learning how to improve his game and I think that's brilliant in any way of life. You know, if, if you think you're the best at something, then I think, you know, you've got a long way to fall. If you know, the, the best thing to do is just admit you can always get better. There's always someone to learn from and that's what Eddie I was done and it's worked remarkably well and uh, for me, spot on appointments and I think Newcastle, you know, Okay, maybe a little bit of a setback for some with Unai Emery, but yeah, Eddie Howe's been been superb. I think I think as you've just touched on, that, I think maybe Emery took the shine off his appointment because a lot of people had really been championing Emery to come in and take over Bruce, and all of a sudden when that gets pulled away from you and it's Howe, people are thinking, well, you know, have we sort of have we taken a step back there? I was actually quite happy with Howe, um, as you say, did well at Bournemouth, it didn't really end so well. There was maybe concerns about his defensive record, but I thought as a coach, you know, he, you know, he know he knew a lot of the players as well, the likes of Wilson and Fraser. So, good appointment. I don't think, like many fans, I don't think I expected him to do as well as he had. I thought it would stay up probably, but I thought it would be a lot tighter than it was. So credit to him for for you know that year away, you know, working on himself. It's done wonders because obviously this isn't going to happen. But let's just say how was to leave this summer for whatever reason. His stock has massively improved, and I think he's gone from being that, you know, sort of manager where you know top of the championship, bottom of the prem would take him to, you know, he's a serious operator now, and I think Newcastle are in are in safe hands with him, and and I think he'd be here for for the foreseeable definitely. Yeah, just to be clear, we don't think Eddie Howe will leave this. Summer. Definitely not. Sorry, I'm um, just that was just a <laughs> hypothetical. I saw me. I saw your finance comments. The, the, I saw the headline of your finance comments about how getting a place by Emery. Look, he's done a fantastic job, Howe, and. I think he'll be here for a very, very long time. And my man, Stavely, um has alluded to, to how becoming Newcastle's version of Alex Ferguson, who, of course, stayed at Manchester United for a very, very long time, was very successful. So, I mean, Newcastle United fans would take half of that success, wouldn't they? Um, and this is... So, we get into then Eddie Howe's start at Newcastle United. And I mentioned earlier on the show about the typical Newcastle United fashion. And Eddie Howe missing the game against Brentford at home because he tested positive for COVID, in my view, is just typical Newcastle United. I always remember, I remember sitting in the pub on the Friday after being in the office and uh, my, my mate just said, oh, we've seen this. And I thought it was one of them accounts which maybe changes the name on Twitter. <laughs> you know, and he'd been duped by it, not a chance. And then I checked the, the emails had come through yet yeah, and it was, oh, Eddie Howe will miss the game with Brentford because he's tested positive for COVID. And you're just sitting there, you're just thinking, goodness me. Because I knew as well War Flags has gone through all this effort as well to welcome Eddie Allen. They had to make last-minute changes to what was a fantastic display. And you just think... <laughs> I mean, it was first, just our luck, wasn't the it? first sell-out at St. James Park, and goodness knows how long, against a team who, yes, it started well, but you would you would think with all the atmosphere and the hope, Newcastle could get the better of them. And then the new manager, everyone buzzing to see him in the dugout for the first time. And he, he well, he's positive for COVID. It was just one of those... Moments where, like I say, you go, that's just typical Newcastle. Yeah, it was. It was just, we'd had all that excitement and buzzing, you know, this place was buzzing to welcome it at the ground and obviously to get that blow the night before was was tricky. But I remember watching that game and, you know, how hadn't had, you know, very long with the team at all, really. But, um, you know, a much improved performance against the Brentford side who had a good start of the season. And I mean, just seeing a Newcastle team score three goals at home, I mean, we hadn't seen that in a long time. So, yeah, look, it was... It was a start, yes, it wasn't a win, but it was a it was a positive start and I mean we probably all thought then that we would kick on. Obviously it wasn't to be like that, but it, it was a good start. I think for me, we, we saw Newcastle play with a bit of purpose. We saw a bit of what they can do going forward when maybe they've got confidence, when they've got a manager who can utilise all that. But on the flip side, what it saw what it also highlighted was that I think a lack of leadership, lack of composure and just how many problems there were at the back and this is November so it's still like, like six weeks or so to go to the giant transfer window opens and it did it did worry me like I say on one hand I was quite excited because oh well then Newcastle do actually carry a threat but 
very vulnerable at the back. And it was, yeah, it was a game, it was kind of a performance of of two two sides really. Yeah, definitely. And I think as as I touched on before, there was that anybody who had doubts about how probably had them because of that defensive record. So to see them ship three goals at home as well as scoring three goals at home probably didn't you know go very far to change their mind. But you know we saw he changed the formation a bit. You know they started Shaw, Lascelles, and Clark as a back three. Murphy was you know used more as a winger. Richie down the other side. It was already maybe a sign that you know he didn't feel like five at the back was a you know viable situation, especially not against teams at the bottom half. But um, but yeah, it it was you know a refreshing change from from what we'd seen the you know the months previous. We'll fly forward to the Norwich game, which was the next one at home, a game that everyone felt Newcastle United not only would win but had to win. And Clark gets a really early red card, just loses his his head. It's a needless foul. A shame as well because. I felt that really did. That was like the last kind of blow, I think, for many Newcastle United fans on, yeah. on Clark. You know, okay, th- that's it now. The line's drawn. You know, he's 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 not going to have a future at Newcastle. And it, we've criticised Steve Bruce actually a lot in this episode, and I think I think fairly. I don't think we've been unfair in, in our criticism. But one of the, the good things he did do was persuade Kieran Clark to stay. He was very close to joining Crystal Palace when Steve Bruce first came in. I think it was a was it a friendly Hibernian maybe. He took him aside and he said, "Don't go, stay here." And during Steve Bruce's time, I, I think Kieran Clark I, I, I excelled actually, and he at times was the best centre back they had under Steve Bruce. So we'll give that to Steve Bruce for for making that move because, yeah, I was very impressed with Clark in certain segments of his time under the old manager. I think obviously, you know, recency bias is a big thing in football and. Clark, you know, many fans will probably look back and think, oh, well, you know, he was never good enough. But there was times where he was the best defender at the club. And I think signing him, you know, five years ago for what was it, five million? You know, it was a a steal of a deal when we got him from Villa. So I agree, though, that night in November when when that red card happened was the end for a lot of people. I remember going into the the bar at half-time at St. James's and seeing, you know, on social media, there was a lot of people saying... It's the last time he should ever wear the shirt, blah, blah, blah. And I think it was a shame because I, I don't think he deserves a send-off like that. I know he's played since, but very rarely. But just going back to the game, I remember going there, you know, it was a midweek and Newcastle was still without a win. And I was thinking, this is the night, it's got to be. Everybody in the ground thought it was going to be the night. It was a Norwich team that was struggling. It was home, you know, how was there? And I just remember feeling so deflated in the ninth minute when when that read. I was remember thinking, you know, when are we going to get a break this season? And, and actually, no, we were the better team that game. Even with 10 men, I thought we dominated that game. And obviously, it was just that one moment of brilliance. I'm going to argue with you there. Not necessarily that we weren't maybe the, the better side. I just remember thinking, and this is two shocking sides. And I, and I felt that when Newcastle eventually beat Burnley as well. Just two shocking sides. And Newcastle were fortunate that Norwich were very, very poor. Because I remember they just couldn't string passes together. Yeah, they were really bad. The that ball night, just kept yeah. bouncing off them. And I just sat there thinking... I'm really happy that actually, if there's a worse side than Newcastle right now, it's Norwich City. But I, I remember, I remember sat there thinking when Clark went off, I thought, well, that's it. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna park the bus. You know, we're gonna have nothing. And it wasn't like that. I don't think. You know, we enjoyed more the ball. We didn't have more. Um, sorry, we enjoyed you know the better chances. We didn't have more the ball. But I thought it was a nice change from. Oh look, you know, we've had a man sent off in the ninth minute. It's going to be 80 minutes back against the wall. It wasn't. And I think, you know, even though they, they you know, they probably weren't at their best, I still still think that deserve more of the draw from the game. We haven't mentioned his name yet, and we are fifty four minutes into the episode. If we have mentioned his name and I've just said that, don't write in because I'm pretty sure we haven't, I just can't remember. It's Joel Linton. This is the game. This is the game. So actually, yes, Kieran Clark got sent off and probably ended his own Newcastle United career in the process. But he did give us Joe Linton as the midfield enforcer, the Patrick Vieira of Newcastle United 2021-2022. This is the game that happened. Everything happens for a reason. Maybe that was it. As one door <laughs> closed for Clark, another one swung open for Joe Linton. Maybe that's just how it worked. But yeah, look, I mean, that was that was an was it inspired or was it you know forced upon how to drop him back in there? But yeah, I mean, we'll probably talk about him more as, as the season review goes on. But what a turnaround. What a play. What a play. It's unbelievable. And I've said before, I'd love to have been in the conversations afterwards. Because let's say it was it was forced upon Eddie Howe. He needed a little bit of muscle in the mid in the midfield after that red card. 
But then he watches that game, like the rest of us do, and go, right, do you know what? Gillette did all right. Can I remember getting out of the game thinking Gillette did all right? Never in the world did I think I'd be sitting here a few months later saying, actually, the midfield that should start come the start of the next season has to be Bruno Goresh, Joe Linton, and then one of another. But I am. And I, the conversation I'd love to have been a fly on the wall in was a conversation where Eddie Howe takes him aside and goes, we're going we're gonna to persevere with you there. We think you can do a job here. And then Joe Linton's reaction, just something like, uh, are, you, are you sure, boss? Like, <laughs> really? What, what, what an absolute, should we say, gamble, masterstroke? With Eddie Howe, it has to be a masterstroke, right? He knew what he was doing. Yeah, well, look, we'll, we'll give him the praise. Maybe if it was Bruce, it would have been a, you know, a lucky, lucky term under Howard to masterstroke. But well, if it was Bruce, many people would have said it was Graham Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's Steve Bruce's luck. That is that is exactly the truth, and maybe <laughs> that's maybe that's a harsh thing on Steve Bruce. But yeah, I mean, very few people saw it. You know, he came in as this. Well, he came in as this number nine that wasn't actually number nine. People said he was like Firmino. I'm still yet to see that. You know, we try him out on the wing. Little did we know that, like you say, we had our very own Patrick Vieira who was ready to just dominate midfields from a bit further back. So, yeah, as you say, first name on the team sheet or one of them next season for me. I just love the fact he's playing with a smile. He's using the strength. He's a big, big guy, you know, He's and he's now using that. He's aggressive. You wouldn't want to uh, go up against him. Like, we've seen him uh, take on Deli Ali. We've seen him, you know, go face-to-face with a lot of players. He, he's just a totally changed man and he's just loving his football and it's just it, it's in what I mean it is lovely to see but in a total other way I'm just baffled by it I really am just baffled by just how well he's done because I when he started playing there on a regular basis I think me with a lot of other people maybe felt it would work for three four five six games and then it would drop off someone else would come in he'd have a bad game he wouldn't you know he'd, he'd revert how he was in his first, uh, you know, season here, but it has, it's been consistent. It has been consistent, and when Newcastle have played poorly under Eddie Howe, he's been often the man who stood out as the one who can hold his head up high. Which again, it's just a, when we say the sentence, you know, Joe Linton, midfield enforcer, player of the season, yep. Newcastle United. I am sat here scratching my head. Just, just how has it happened? I mean, we. I mean, we even said a couple of weeks ago on 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 the podcast, or I maybe said, "Oh, look, is this is this for long term?" Yeah, that was you. Is this not you? Sorry, I don't want to start you with that push. But I was thinking, "Oh, is this you know long term? Is it just a short term fix?" Just the last couple of games alone, never mind what he's done the rest of the season, shows that he's got to be there. You know, don't move him back into attack. Keep him there. But like you said, I think it's good to see him playing on a smile's face. He's full of confidence. He's clearly loving. You know, this sudden attention from the fans, that's actually in a positive light. You know, we saw him, you know, clapping the fans on his own at Carroll Road after he scored two. And dealing with it. Yeah. That's the key because I feel like it, it takes a very special character to, to deal with the amount of attention he's getting, the, the T-shirts, the songs, you know, the social media messages. And, you know, if that had happened maybe a year ago, maybe not maybe able to handle it so well, of course, is. You know, he's now got people over here with him. That's yeah. obviously helped him hugely. Yeah. He's a young lad and he was in Newcastle by himself. That's gonna you know, that you know, that's tough for anybody, let alone a footballer with all this money, with all this attention, you know. Newcastle fans and the attention you get if you're a Newcastle United player, it's a total different breed yeah. to, to most other clubs. And you do have to be a, a kind of special character to to handle it and it's just another change in him, which is, again is utterly remarkable. Yeah, I think, look, it, it started with that movement midfield and the confidence came on the pitch once fans started noticing that actually, you know, we have got a player on our hands here. It's just breeded more and more confidence from him. But I think you can tell, you know, I, I mentioned it a couple of months ago that when Bruno came in, Bruno came in, he knew he was the man, you know, he knew he didn't have, he hadn't even touched the ball for Newcastle and fans were singing his name. For Joe Linton, it's different. He's had to work, he's had to scrap, he's had... All that negativity, which, you know, at the start was probably warranted, he had a huge price tag, he wasn't playing well, he wasn't playing in his right position. He's had to overcome all that and was over the moon that he's got player of the season and, and, and long may it last because, yeah, fantastic for him. So there you have it, the end of part one of the Everything is Black and White podcast and your cast end of season review for the 2021-22 campaign. 
check your podcast provider on Thursday morning for part two, where we go from December. Of course, Newcastle secured their first win of the season against Burnley. We head into the January transfer market, signing the likes of Kieran Trippier and Bruno Gomesh. We cover that defeat to Cambridge and then that nine-game unbeaten run, all the victories which eventually led to Newcastle securing their Premier League safety. What a fantastic end of the season it was. It's all covered in part two. Thank you very much for listening to part one. Please remember to like and follow the podcast and enjoy the rest of your day.